0: Podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Wisdom Cricket World Cup Daily Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Scene, who we've partnered with to deliver all of our England daily podcasts and videos for the rest of the 2023 World Cup. Starting soon on wisdom.com, Scene will be powering our new interactive videos, allowing you to easily skip to certain segments and find relevant articles, offers and opportunities by simply clicking directly within the video. England, for the first time since October the 10th, won a game of cricket. In the European derby, with a Champions Trophy placed potentially at stake, England have beaten the Netherlands by 160 runs in Pune. Ben Stokes scored his first World Cup 100 to rescue England from 192 for six to a final total of 339, a total they very comfortably defended in the end. I'm Yaz Rana, and with me today is Mark Butcher and Katia Whitney. A lot has happened in the last month. Um, We've produced something like 16 hours worth of podcasts. Um, (laughs) XL Bullies have been outlawed. The Beatles have released a new song. David Willey's retired from international cricket. Glenn Maxwell scored the the fastest World Cup 100 ever, got concussed for a week and then played the best ODI innings ever as well. Um, It's been a while. It feels good. Um, Katia, the final margin of victory means that England are out of the bottom two. So currently good for the Champions Trophy. But it wasn't, as plain sailing as the final margin of victory necessarily suggests. At one point, they were 192 for six on a pretty decent pitch, having once more let a decent start slip.
0: Yeah, it kind of felt like here we go again at the beginning, right? So when Milan got off to that really good start, um, it kind of was typical, yeah, power play. Everything's kind of as expected against against the Netherlands. Um, And then everything just kind of collapsed again uh and without Stokes I don't think we'd be making the same podcast today to be honest Mm. um and Wokes I guess You've, you've got to give Wokes a lot of credit for that half century um but Stokes was just incredible um and having to rescue England from the position they are it's just another example of him doing that um the Netherlands weren't great with the bat I think you've got to give that to them as well um but yeah it feels good to to be talking about an England win rather than commiserating mm-hmm. another loss.
1: Yeah, nor all the ball as well. I think Milan pointed out, Milan got 87. He pointed out that England got to a fast start, but that wasn't necessarily a, a, a something they'd talked about before. It was that partly to do with the bowling that was served up. Um, But Stokes announced last week that his knee will be going under the knife at some point mm-hmm. um after the tournament. And we talked about whether or not he should take the plane home, given that England are already knocked out um, and how important he'll be for that tour. Uh, in India in January. We saw his influence on the field here today, but also I was wondering how hard would it have been for him to make a decision to leave, given how badly it's going for his, his mates, basically?
2: Yeah, I mean, that 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 perhaps wouldn't have been a great look. And and of course, given that he's carried that injury into the tournament, they wouldn't have been able to replace him. But I still think if we're having this conversation in the build-up to the India series um, midway through January and he's not quite fit and needs another couple of weeks you'll be kind of going well okay it it might Mm. have been handy for him to have started that process a little bit sooner Um, given that you know England are out of the tournament he's unlikely to play much more one day international cricket You know, I I don't know because he retired beforehand in order that he didn't have to play any one day international cricket prior to the World Cup is he going to be all that bothered about playing much of it not that England play much of it, yeah. uh, between now and, and the Champions Trophy. So, look, he makes 100. England batter a, a, an amateur team, basically, which is exactly how it's supposed to be. Um, with No disrespect meant to the Netherlands, but the world champions against a, against a, a group of guys who, who mostly have um, other jobs. Probably, what, nine or 10, 10 of them at least have, have other jobs that they go back to other than playing cricket is not sort of is not the sort of thing you'd be normally jumping up and down about. Mm. But today we are because oh, it's because oh, yeah. it's been <laughs> such a such a long time. Um look, if he's fit and fine, everything's all right in come January and he leads leads England to uh, to, to glorious victory in, in India in a test match series, which would be, I mean, one hell of an achievement in itself, then then all is good. If 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 by some you know, but but some reason the 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 exploration on the knee turns up something worse, or the rehab doesn't go very well, and he's not ready. Then we'll be we'll revisit this conversation, mm. shall we?
1: One of one of the hardest parts of the, of the World Cup for England has just been how long it's been. In other World Cups, in other sports, you lose, you have a bad three game, that's it, you're out. And England have just kept on having to go. Mm. And we've compared it to Ashes tours in the past that have gone wrong. What's it like when a tour goes? Badly wrong, and you've still got to play, you still got to get yourself up <laughs> to play more cricket. So,
2: that's every that's two Ashes tours <laughs> that I went on, but the, um, the but one of them ended quite well. Well, yeah, the final test match yeah. did, yeah. Um, it, my last uh Ashes test in 2003, but I, it's really really tough. Um, I, I guess only up until sort of the, the England's previous game were they actually out of it. So, the, the the you know, Ashes tours in the past had been sort of you know, a 3 0 down. Through 11, 10, 11 days of cricket after mm. the Perth Test match, and you still got two tests to go. Um, you know, t- Test matches is a very different thing anyway, because for me, they've always been singular events, anyhow. Yes, you've got series to play for, but I-, I never turned up at a Test match and thought, oh, well, the series gone. There's no point in sort of getting up for it. Each Test match on its own is its own event. Um, and-, and this tournament for England, should have been and was, I'm sure that this exactly the same. They still had a chance of qualifying before they before they lost the last game against Australia. So I, I don't have any sort of I don't have any sort of sympathy for, for for the way that that's gone. But what I do know is that once you get on that 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 roll, you know, like the boulder rolling down the hill, it just gathering momentum. It gathers momentum in a positive way when you're going well, and it does exactly the same when it when things are going badly. Um, and and that's pretty much the the situation that England have found themselves in. And um, you know it's been interesting listening to some of the comments coming out of the coming out of the camp. Obviously, Mo and Ali talking about sort of regenerating in the future. Other, go, you know, Stokes himself saying we've just been crap. I mean, all of those things are true. <laughs> there's not there's not a single statement that that's come out of that camp that you can disagree with really. Um, and again, I, I go back to the to the Stokes the Stokes um, question. He makes a brilliant hundred. Oh, you know, isn't he? He's, he's, he's incredible, a man for the big occasion for England, all that type of stuff. But it doesn't matter. It's kind of, yes, somebody else would have made the runs if he hadn't, I'm sure of it. And if England hadn't 192 been 192 for if, six. And if, if England, it, yeah, 250 might have been enough. Yeah, absolutely. That's, I mean, that's what I'm saying to you. Yeah. They're playing against an, an amateur team. Um, and, you know, at some point, these other guys are going to have to take responsibility and, and not rely on, on Ben. Um, and the sooner that starts the better for me. Mm. Yeah, I thought today was was weird in that they got the win in the end and you're right to to
1: note the opposition. But you saw so much of what has gone wrong already continue to I mean Butler again another low score, and also there's that chance that Root dropped at first slip that went to Root's left that was almost certainly Butler's catch as well. Um Katia, there was a interesting um headline, I guess, from Owen Morgan this morning who's critic. he was critical of England. Sending out Carl Hopkinson, the, the fielding coach, to do a press conference yesterday. Um, what what did you what did you make of that? Because again, anything Morgan says is particularly interesting given he was in that dressing room 18 months ago.
0: Oh, oh, Morgan's having a good World Cup, <laughs> isn't he? Emily um, and Plunkett, great
1: World Cup. Fantastic.
0: I, I think what was crucially missed out of, of Morgan's quotes was that the Netherlands also put out their assistant coach for the press <laughs> conference yesterday. Um I get what he means in the you should have a senior player or your head coach fronting up for um, a press conference to the media. And especially in the situation that England are in, that's what those senior players' job is for. They're to go and have consistent messaging um, and to make their excuses or lack of excuses to the media. That's why we've had Stokes saying that they've been crap and Moeen saying that we've been building uh, or rebuilding after the tournament. But in the scheme of all of England's problems throughout this World Cup, I think Carl Hopkinson answering a few questions <laughs> from journalists is probably quite low down on the list. Um, so yeah, I think it's probably a bit of a storm in a teacup, but another yeah. check on the list for Morgan's World Cup.
1: I was quite surprised by that because that happens all the time. Like a bad day in the ashes, you know, as a journalist, you expect to see Geaton Mattel or Marcus Triscothic, for example. You know, that's that, that, that's not a rare thing. That is not a new thing yeah. uh, for the assistant and coach an, to speak to Interest
2: I, I don't know, just a, a, an interesting... I kind of agree with Katya, an interesting thing for, for them to have made such a big deal out of um, today. But then, you know, I, I can kind of... I, I kind of understand that what, what you want to hear, what Owen Morgan wants to hear, actually, is that kind of... Um, you know the the reason reasoning for, for for the changes that we might make or changes we're not going to make. This is this is how we're going to go about it, and these are the reasons why. Um, and Carl Hopkinson is probably in no position to answer those particular questions. Um, although I'm sure, come the end of the Pakistan game, no matter what happens, that there will be a senior person answering all of the questions that can perhaps only really definitively be answered once the whole thing is over. England's you know, chances in the tournament are over, but there is still one game to go. So um, let's give them the benefit of the doubt until yeah. until then.
0: Yeah. I, I think what, what really has interested me, not just with that kind of debate, but throughout the whole World Cup is seeing the contrast in Joss Butler as England captain and how Owen Morgan was as England captain, mm. especially with Morgan there on the Coventry team. I think it's quite stark because when Morgan was captain, you had the most consistent messaging I think I've ever seen from a cricket team of every time they made a mistake, no, we're going to go harder. No, we're going to do exactly the same and it's going to work. Mm. Whereas with Butler, he's kind of tried to make the same noises, but they haven't been as effective or as reassuring or as convincing towards that the dressing room is all on that page as they were with Morgan. Um, and I think that's kind of the most revealing thing about rather than Morgan's comments saying that, you know, Carl Hopkinson's going out is the problem. I think the more overarching problem of just how good Morgan was and Butler being different is the more interesting conversation mm. to come out of that. Yeah,
2: I think that's a, I think that's a brilliant point. And uh, that's been, that's been evident since the, since the beginning really with Joss. He's not as, he's just not as, as a forthright, He's not as forthright a character as as Owen, and again, you know, anyone would pale by comparison with Morgs. However, you know, some of the stuff that, again, some of the stuff that's sort of been talked about through by players that have been put up in front of the press over the course of the tournament, they kind of the players have been kind of freewheeling a little bit, riffing on the idea that well, we we didn't maybe we should have done it this way, or maybe we should have done it that way. Whereas with Owen, there was one message and one message only: that is, Mm. this is how we play. We do it every single time and we will win more, more games than we lose in doing mm. so. Um, you know, even even to the point where, I, I think I might have dropped you a, one of my regular text messages the other day after the toss in, uh, in the game after the the South Africa game. They won the toss again and asked, you know, why are you doing what you're doing? Josh said, oh, no particular reason. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> You know, you kind of you've had a tactical nightmare of the game before, and then you make it make a decision. It might be that that in the dressing room everybody everybody understands the decision that's been made and it's been widely discussed. But I think the captain standing there and sort of shrugging his shoulders, um, empty behind the eyes, and saying, "I'm not really sure why we why we did what we did, but we're doing it anyway." It just mm. kind of is not. It is not the sort of thing that you would have It doesn't heard. fill you with it, does, it does yeah. not at all. It yeah. didn't with me then, yeah. in, in that <laughs> moment. Um, and, and I'm sure a lot of other people felt yeah. the same.
1: Yeah, I, I find Morgan's um, talking style is quite belligerent in, in a good way. Like he, like the, the discussion he had with Nasser after the indie game, where they were having a discussion over the Stokes innings against Shami, And Morgan was just so, no, no, that was the right thing to do. I was like, fair enough, actually. Like, I completely agree with what you said, Katia. There's such a clear message from Morgan and Butler has tried to uh, communicate that message at times, but you don't necessarily believe that he believes it himself. And especially as the tournament's unraveled, I think he looks like one of the players most affected by how badly the tournament has gone. And the on.
2: one thing that you get from that, one thing that you get from that that sort of 100% backing, you know, if had Morg's been captain and the same thing had happened, he would have exactly, he would have said exactly the same thing. Is that the players don't don't then don't sort of go back and think oh hang on is this on me have I made a mistake do I need to do something different the next time if the skipper goes out there in front of the world and says no nah, yeah we we stunk the place out today we you know we got knocked over for hundred but I'd do it ninety nine times again mm. uh, for the for the next out of hundred you know mm. every single time we do it exactly the same way and that is the is the type of I think that's what he means by the messaging more than anything else is that mm. if you if you hit from the top. In your bones, the people at the top believe and tell you that this is exactly the way to go. There can be no prevarication. There can mm. There's no room for people to kind of to, to come up with their own idea as to what the right thing might be to do. And that is, there is a, a major difference, I think, in terms of in terms of styles. Um and look, not not everybody has that conviction. You know, there are a lot of people who 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 read the game particularly well or or you know, fantastic. Um, tacticians, perhaps, or, or guys who understand, um, you know, conditions better than others. But there are other people who are brilliant leaders. Hmm. You know, Adam Hollyoke is is one that played with here at the Oval. Who kind of, in terms of his messaging and his ideas around things, he was he was unshakable in them. Hmm. Um, and everybody else kind of feeds off that. There there, there is no uncertainty in what's required.
0: But I think there's also an element of that in the selection stuff that's happened throughout the tournament as well. Because Morgan was so much like, no, we, we back these players. These are the best one day players in the world. We're, we're going to back these players. You know, when when Roy got out to a stupid catch on the boundary in the power play for the 10th time, he was like, no, Jason Roy, is the best opener for England and we're going to back him. Whereas in this tournament, they've chopped and changed so much with Harry Brook in, Harry Brook out, Livingston Moeen, you know, all all of the, all of those changes. That it's not just the lack of the words or the different words that Butler is using it's the decisions that he's making mm. as well that are kind of giving the impression that he doesn't know what the best way forward is. No, Even yeah. if he confidently made the wrong decisions, you know, that that would probably be a better way to go than, than what's happening no, now. No, it's
1: a good point. I was thinking about this um, this morning, actually, that in the lead up to the 2019 World Cup, England actually had some historical stinkers. There was a game against South Africa at Lords, I think, when there was something like 15 for five. I think Toby Roland Jones is playing that ODI. Uh, it was a game in Sri Lanka where they got absolutely battered just before the World Cup. It was a game against West Indies where they got absolutely battered. I was reading some World Cup previews, and quite a few of them mentioned England have a stinker in them. And you know, they 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 got over stinkers. They'd they'd be all out for 121 game, but they'd play
2: exactly the same way um, the next day. Um, Do you know what's interesting about that though? Is that that is absolutely 100 percent correct in the run up to the to the 2019 World Cup? There was no change from anybody um in terms of the way that they were going to play personnel stayed largely the same and the method stayed largely the same but they won the world cup having to change everything Mm. right you know england had been two spinners pretty much throughout the the lead up to it moeen and and rash after however many games one game i think moeen sat out the rest of the tournament um, things were helped, obviously, by Joffre Archer being injected into the site, which kind of gives you a dimension that you didn't have previously. And also, there was no 380s. There was no 400s. It wasn't sort of gung-ho. Critique. It couldn't be because the pitches didn't allow it. So not the, the messaging is very, very important there. But also the, the fact that, that Owen and the team could adapt the way that they were going to play and still be successful in playing a way that was completely alien to the way they'd done in the hmm. previous four years. And that takes, you know, that takes the confidence, the continuity in, the, in, in selection and also a, a, a captain who is going to back you no matter what, but also understands that some days, is, you know, not every day is Christmas Day when it comes to playing in, in World Cup tournaments. And sometimes mm. you have to play dirty and, and win. Mm. Um, and England have not been able to either put the foot down and win, play dirty. And well, they've not even tried, have they? <laughs> kind of, you, know, you know, the India game, the India game, <clears throat> the India game is, the, is, the, is the prime example of that. You know, again, I, I would if I'd have been standing next to Iron on the field the other day, we'd have had a row because it, basically that's fine. I, I kind of get you, but they were only chasing two thirty, mm. right? And at some point, India India have a brilliant bowling attack, the best one in the in the tournament. At some point, you're going to have to to weather it for a little mm. while, and then win the game, dribble over the line like yeah. you did at Lords in 2019.
1: Our, our, our producer Dan made a really good point today, actually, in how much the ball has moved in the first ten overs of the second innings under lights. The new ball has done loads. Mm getting through that 10-over spell is such a big part of getting through a run, run chase. I mean, obviously, Australia won in the end yesterday, but the reason why that game went against them so much was because of how many wickets they lost early on. And as you saw from how Maxwell played, conditions were completely different once New Ball um, did less. Cathy um, mentioned already, Harry Brook came in for Liam Livingston. It's what we've been calling for for the last six weeks, but didn't make much of an impact. Um, there's a spectacular dismissal Uh, for Joe Root, nutmegged by straight delivery from Van Bake as he tried to reverse scoop it. We were talking about this before we started recording. And I think it's a neat encapsulation of where England's batting has gone wrong at times this tournament. Because when he plays uh, that shot, and the ECB have got a compilation video on YouTube of every time he's done it in a test match in the last two years, it's totally premeditated. When the ball is released, he is front on to the bowler in pancake-flipping position. But it's a completely different shot in test cricket because you can telegraph where the ball is based on the field. There is no deep third. You've got three or four slips. One guy in front is going on the leg side. So you can sort of be safe in the knowledge that it's probably going to be around that outside off stump. But ODI ODI cricket, you've got to go on the third man boundary. So it's risky if you do nail it. But then you've also got a ring field in front of you. So the likelihood of somebody bowling straighter is so much higher. So one shot that is seen as being aggressive, taking the aggressive option is in test cricket. A, a reasonable um, percentage chance shot is completely different in ODIs. And and, and I think that they've just, the, the, the whole mindset has just been a bit warped all tournament and just not being able to correctly assess what risk is. Like like that Stokes shot against Shammy, the thinking from Morgan, completely get it. But in that specific situation, that specific shot, it didn't really make sense. And I feel, I know they won today, but you could also see why they've struggled so much this tournament.
0: I think with with that root shot in particular though, I might be completely wrong, but I don't remember him playing it too much in ODI cricket. No, he's not really, not really, no. But in test cricket, he views it as his get out of jail kind of shot when he doesn't know how to score runs or or he's struggling, he brings out the reverse scoop. So it kind of shows how awful form he's been in during the tournament that he feels he needs to try and do a get out of jail reverse Mm. scoop in order to to get out of the blocks and get some runs. So Mm. I don't think that's a shot of, a, of necessarily just the team's frazzle mind, but Root's mind in particular as not yeah, scoring I mean, any he, runs.
1: He talks about it in Test cricket as a way of make, of, of getting rid of a slip. Yeah. It's like you play that shot a couple of times, you're taking out a slip and that makes your life easier down the line. Um, it's been 29 days since England last won a game. And I asked on Twitter if anyone had experienced major life events since that Bangladesh win. Um, personally, I've been to two weddings and a stag do since England last won. Um, Dan Senior, who's been the wisdom player of the tournament, putting together every single daily podcast, (laughs) all tournament, uh, said he joined the gym again for the first time since 2016 to avoid watching um, more bad cricket. Um, (laughs) Richard said, I went on holiday to Sri Lanka, watched England lose last Saturday in Ahmedabad and returned to England in that time. And now finally they've won a game. Um, And Ash says, my son Otis was born on October the 25th. Delighted. Um, that he gets to see an England win today. So congratulations, Ash. That's very exciting. Um, That made me look up actually the first England win in my lifetime. Um, So England won just one of the first 12 games in my lifetime across formats. Uh, The first win was the second ODI in Bloemfontein in January 96. The England 11 that day was brilliant. Um, Phil De Freitas opened the batting with Atherton who top scored with 85. uh, Then Hick at three, Thorpe at four, Ramps at five. Fairbrother 6, Stuart 7, uh, Craig White 8, Cork at 9, Neil Smith at 10, and Peter Martin at 11. Um, anyway, uh, WG RumblePants asks, assuming that England do qualify for the Cham- Champions Trophy um, and that we need to build a squad to work towards that and the next ODI World Cup, is it time for England to move on from players who realistically
2: may not be playing in four years' time? Th- what uh, what year? Remind me, what year is the, the Champions Trophy? 2025. Okay. Um, well, I, I think I just think that they will they will be moving on from them. I don't think there's an if about it. I think looking at the, the the cricketing landscape as a whole, as opposed to England cricket teams in different formats, so many of these players, and I know they've just all been given contracts. and so That's another another conversation for another time, where we've had it plenty already. But. So many of these players are going to look at playing one day international cricket as being the thing that gives in terms of their careers. And so, you know, regardless of the fact that I was with Paul Collingwood a couple of nights ago, A Chance to Shine to, and he was saying, oh, you know, why are you talking about how old these guys are, you know, sports science and the fitness and all this kind of stuff. I said, it's got nothing to do with them, their ages per se, but more to do with, more to do with the fact that, that there are so many other pools and so many other more attractive things to do than play one day international cricket in the lead up to, to major tournaments that a lot of guys at the back end of their careers will take will take the, the take the view that it's perhaps something that they could do without mm. if they're going to prolong their careers as test match players and enjoy themselves in t20 leagues so i just think realistically that is going to happen and i also think that there are some there are some really really fantastic young players who are absolutely champing at the bit to play this format, any format for England. And I think that there's a there's a massive point here that that, that often gets overlooked is that the the hunger and the desire of of sort of, of players to kind of make their way in the game. Most of the guys in this squad have been around the block a million times, right? They reached the the, the top of the, the the peak of the mountain winning the World Cup in twenty nineteen and they were desperate to come out and put in a good showing to, to defend it this time. But having not done having not done so and knowing how reluctant players are to play in bilateral one day international series, wherever they might pop up in the middle of their schedules. Is there not a huge argument for bringing in people who are jumping out of their skin to play one day international cricket for England? Not least because there are lots and lots of them who are very, very good as well. And whose whose exposure to 50 over cricket is going to be incredibly limited unless they are playing for England in one day internationals. And that for me is the strongest argument that that, that there is. Mm. And it's not a question of sacking people or leaving people out because they've been rubbish in the World Cup. It's not a punishment. It's just if you're going to regenerate and if you're going to be a force in the the format again, you you guys are going to have to do it. Mm. End of story. Mm.
1: I think as well that you look at because of the schedules, you look at players like Crawley and Pope who identified as really talented players years ago you think they, these are guys who've got the game to play 50 over cricket, but just don't unless they get picked for England. And I think that, you know, the, the Champions Trophy, to, to answer the question as well, the Champions Trophy is uh, nearly two years away, but in terms of actual ODIs, is not that far away. So England played these three games in the West Indies straight off the World Cup where you think it'd be a completely different squad. Oh yeah,
2: none, none of the, the guys here will yeah. be playing in that, not one. So you'll have probably the same
1: guys-ish who Maybe played against Sam Ireland. Curran, he might, he
2: might stick his hand up. Yeah. I don't know what his commitments are with, with leagues and stuff.
1: And then um, after that, there's like an eight-month gap until they play Australia at home. And then suddenly you're, you're really not that far away from the Champions Trophy. So I think a lot of this will happen naturally. I don't think there'll be a big cull moment. Maybe if the T20 World Cup also goes really badly, you'll get um, a few few more formal retirements. But in terms of actual squad selection, I don't think it's going to be that controversial, a culling moment as, as we might imagine at this point. Um, anyway, that's enough for part one. In part two, we'll talk some more about uh, Glenn Maxwell's extraordinary innings last night and also tomorrow's massive game between Sri Lanka and New Zealand. Um, but that was just nuts, wasn't it? The 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 Maxwell innings. Uh
2: like genuinely one of the best innings in any format that you'll ever see. Yeah. It, it just there aren't enough superlatives for it. Um 91 for seven. Afghanistan are, are brilliant defenders. They've got they've got above par probably for them against Australia's attack. Um the game was over. It should have been over. Um and and Maxwell who obviously had you know a bump on the head has done him no harm whatsoever. Has just come out and played the most incredible innings. He, he he played it was so so good. Obviously the the ball striking and the and the talent that he has to play as well left-handed as he does right-handed is is well documented. But then when when the body started to give up on him when he when they were about 70, 80 runs out and you could see he was so he was struggling so much. A couple of times he flinched after making strikes. You know you thought oh what well, he's gone you know cramp in the hamstring, maybe something in the calf. Um, and then by the end, he's kind of, it looked like full body. Have you ever had that? Have, have you, I've no, had it. Have you no. ever had cramp in your groins? No. It's just, just it's the worst. It is absolutely <laughs> the worst. And you're just thinking, well, you know, I don't know how he can continue. And then, of course, you start to sort of be slightly uncharitable and start looking at Afghanistan for crying out loud. bowl it away from him. bowl it wide. bowl it slower. Do anything but keep bowling it at the stumps. <laughs> but, you know, when somebody's, somebody is playing uh, an innings of that, of that outrageous skill, for a fielding team, you kind of like you just feel feel as though there is nothing that you can do about it, and and all of the sort of the the cold thinking that you can do, set on the other side of a TV screen, thousands of miles away, um, with a drink in your hand, um, is kind of not what's happening out there mm-hmm. on the field. It's just blind panic because mm-hmm. you you're thinking to yourselves, how can this cannot be happening? We should be on ten points. This is this game should have been over an hour and a half ago. And yet this guy with no no legs and fortunately, he doesn't get cramp in his arms. I know some people that, do, that get that um, is just is just doing incredible things. I mean, some of the best the best footage of all that was Cummins at the other end, wasn't it? Just kind of just shaking his head and laughing, just like not being able to believe what he's witnessing. Um, it's just an absolutely magical moment. It really was. I, I was thrilled to have been uh, been sat there watching it.
1: Yeah, obviously, he had the sort of manic start right he could have been out as we talked about yesterday katia four or five times in his first 20 30 balls and i think the the reason why i'm comfortable talking about this is one of the great innings across formats is that i actually think he managed the chase from the drop catch off majib really really well because rashid and nur had loads of overs left were bowling really really well and at the end so maxwell hit 21 fours and 10 sixes but a lot of those sixes were actually when he couldn't move. It was right at the end where it was basically waiting in the slot and it was like, basically, is it in my golf swing, right? And he didn't actually hit that many sixes in the first 140 runs or so. Um, and I think the way he managed to score that quickly without actually taking that many risks from the point he was on about 30 was, was just crazy. Um, yeah, I'm very comfortable calling it one of the best innings across formats of all time men- mental innings
0: if if you actually look at that Knorr over when he got dropped though that's mm. such a an interesting turning point for the innings because before then i think he'd maybe hit one four or two fours or something like that um and in the f- second ball of that over he had that LBW shout where it was bouncing over and it sh- should never have been bouncing over but <laughs> somehow was the
1: first ball all tournament a batter's got a big uh, you know front foot stride in and it's gone over on Literally. DRS <laughs>
0: um and then Nor sent it down for five wides yeah. so the, and they built up a lot of pressure before that over and suddenly it went for five wides. And then it was either the ball or the ball after that, that Maxwell like reverse slapped it behind square for, for four. And you could tell he was like, I, I can't hit these guys in front of the wicket. I, I'm going to get them over the fine leg, the third man boundaries. Um, And you could see that kind of flick in how he was scoring. Um, And it was almost like after he was dropped by Majib, which came off the next ball, he was like, right, you know, I'm teeing off now and I'm going to hit it. Well over the boundaries, and I'm not even going to try and play these guys like normal spinners. I'm just going to whack them out of mm. the park. So in a way, <laughs> Nor nearly got Maxwell out, but is responsible for the greatest innings of all time. <laughs> yeah, You're looking at. It. I mean,
1: so so from just I'm just looking at it now. So he faced 128 balls at the crease. He didn't actually hit six in his first 58 balls. Yeah, which is amazing. Like, so he, you know that that is adapting in his own way <laughs> to the remarkable situation that he was in. So he didn't Just... get a six until he started
0: cramping. Uh,
1: <laughs> not quite. So, so the first time he hit six was uh, when Noor is brought back into the attack in the 29th over and he starts with two balls in the slot. They get hit for six and then Maxwell knocks it for one. I, th- I think he actually just for a lot of time was just waiting for balls that were in his arc yeah. as simple as
2: that it just kind of proves you don't have to move your feet it? Yeah, not really does, it you don't even need to move I mean it's just kind of it's, it was astonishing Yeah, you
0: don't need to move when they're serving them up to your middle stump do you Yeah, well, no
2: but yeah. I mean even so you, you you kind of think that you need some sort of momentum into or away from the ball in order mm. to hit it as hard and as far as he did but it was that was just something else it really was mm. 200 out 290 that's without question the greatest ODI innings of all time
1: mm. Um, Cathy, there's a huge gain tomorrow in New Zealand versus Sri Lanka. The, the race for the semi-final is still on. Um, New Zealand have had a really tricky, I guess, three or four weeks. Uh, they've had a few injuries themselves. How do you see that one going?
0: Yeah. I mean, if you'd said, I think three, I've lost track. three weeks ago that New Zealand would be scrapping for the last mm. place in the semi-finals. I think that would have been a little bit of a surprise. Um, there's rain about, I think, isn't there? It, it mm. could be washed out. And if it is washed out, it, that could potentially be a favourable outcome for Sri Lanka in terms of their Champions Trophy qualification. Because um, all four teams are, who are fighting for the last two places of Champions Trophy qualification are on four points. And all of them have pretty difficult games for their last matches. So if Sri Lanka have a washout against New Zealand and get awarded one point, and the other three teams, lose their matches or even two of them lose their matches and with the netherlands playing india and um bangladesh playing australia i think you've got to think that they're pretty likely to lose them Mm. that would mean sri lanka would automatically qualify for the champions trophy so a washout could help them but even if there's not a washout you've got to think on the run that new zealand are on there's the potential that they could spring a surprise on them as well i mean if we discount the bangladesh match because that was just something else, you know, crazy timed out stuff and, and whatever. Sri Lanka actually have been quite okay in, in the tournament. Aside from being in, in the bottom half, they've played some quite good cricket and they've come out on the wrong side of a few results that easily could have gone the other way. Mm. So safety would be a washout for them, but there's no guarantee that they can't beat New Zealand anyway, I guess. But it's mm. a huge game.
2: Mm. Um, Kiwis have just, they've they got off to, I suppose, I mean... <laughs> We didn't know it then, but they got off to quite a soft start and they they, obviously they smashed England, but then, you know, they they got off to a flyer and looked and looked fantastic. And then they've just gone on this run of ridiculous injuries, haven't they? Just guys going down, you know, Kane Williamson with the finger, got Matt Henry, you've got various, various other sort of things that have chiseled away at the squad. Um, and, and they've looked a shadow of themselves, which again, you know, I would never have. I wouldn't have said England would be so bad, and I would not have said that New Zealand would be scrapping in their well, last game yeah. to get through. I mean, New Zealand haven't won a game for for exactly three
1: weeks to the day. It yeah. wasn't until they since they beat Afghanistan. Um, and I, I sort of wonder though their campaign. I, I agree. I think people got in hindsight got a little bit too excited by how they were playing and how their balance of the side works because they actually face on paper three or four of the weakest teams in the competition. Early on, um, I think I've said this before, but as as, as an Arsenal fan um, of uh, brought up in the in the mid 2000s, uh, I know that you can finish fourth just by beating the teams you're supposed to beat. And if New <laughs> Zealand do that against Sri Lanka, they'll finish fourth. Fair enough. Um, that is everything for today. Uh, thank you for listening to this episode of the Wisdom Cricket World Cup Daily Podcast, powered by Scene. Once again, seen our our Video partners on wisdom.com helping us to deliver a more engaging and immersive viewing experience across mobile, tablet, and desktop. Head to the link in our description to find out more.
0: Sports Social Podcast Network.